while working on Nugget, we realized that, okay, we have a lot of evergreen content, which is relevant today as it will be a few months or even years from now. And we have a lot of content that we want to share across social. We managed to find some techniques that helped us grow our social presence and then helped us turn that into uh, app installs and so on. And then at one point we said, okay, we built all of this knowledge and a bit of a toolkit internally to, to manage social. Maybe we should try to see if there's a need for other startups or other entrepreneurs to, to use this. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars, and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Ave Negrin. Ave is the co-founder and chief executive B of SocialBee.io. SocialBee offers social media management tools, training, and teams. SocialBee is another of these companies that was created to solve an internal problem. Ave and his co-founder Vlad initially started a different company called Nugget. While working on Nugget, they were looking for a tool or platform to help them with their social media and more specifically their evergreen content and couldn't find one. So what did they do? They built it internally. Ultimately, they realized that this tool that they had built would help a lot of other entrepreneurs and companies solve the same problem. So Social B was born. And today you'll hear that journey. Questions we answer are how solving an internal problem led to creating a new high-growth company, why complementary co-founders are the key to success, why it is critical to understand if your products and services are scalable, why done can be better than perfect in product development in the early stages, make sure your product is a painkiller and not a vitamin, plus much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Good morning, Avi. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brett. Thanks, thanks for having me. I p- really appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited to you know, talk about your journey and the social B, you know, kind of involvement over time. And kind of what I'd like to do is maybe just give us a little bit of background on, you know, what social B is up to today, size, who you're working with. And then, then I'd like to take you back in time to, to kind of walk through the journey. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, at Social B, we are offering uh, tools, training, and teams to help uh, companies get more leads, especially from social media, but we're also uh, moving into a larger marketing space, so to say. And basically, our two main flagship parts are the done-for-you uh, done concierge services, where basically we have a team of people that can help you with various uh, services related to content creation, uh, growing an audience, and so on. And the do-it-yourself tool, where basically social media as a platform helps you uh, manage and, uh, and grow your social media presence. And uh, as, when it comes to size, we're about 30 people at the moment. Uh, most of these people are working on the concierge services side. We're go- growing uh, quite, quite quickly. And uh, most of our customers are usually the solopreneurs, the small and medium companies, 
and maybe agencies who are also using us as well, both on the tool side, but also maybe on the services side. Okay, excellent. Is one side growing faster than the other? Or is there a priority for, for you guys looking forward? I wouldn't say there's one which is uh, growing uh, much faster than the other. I think uh, both the tool and the services side uh, reinforce themselves and they really work well uh, in tandem, but uh, it really depends. Some people know how to do social media, have the time to do it, maybe are even passionate about it and want to do it, while others just care about the end results. They don't have the time or knowledge to do it, so then they outsource the the content creation uh, and, and the growth of their social media to us. There are some who do it uh, in between, like a mix uh, of having some things outsourced to us, some things they do themselves. So it, it really varies a lot. Okay. No, that makes sense. And two is, you know, social media is evolving. It seems like it's slow, but it's actually evolving fairly quickly. I can imagine folks not being able to keep up with it would look to, to companies like yourself to help, you know, through that changing landscape as well. Yeah, exactly. So we're feeling this both on the services side and also on the tool side. Sometimes uh, I feel like, uh, you know, that quote from Alice in Wonderland where you have to run very fast just to stay in the same place. And then if you want to move forward, you have to run twice as fast because the social platforms are always changing. So we have to adapt both the tool, but also the services and how we are doing things. So we're working, we're really working hard to stay ahead of the curve on, on, on both of these sides. Yeah, that is so true. And that's the first Alice in Wonderland quote we've had on the show. So thank you. <laughs> but it's so true when you, you think about even digital and social, how fast it's evolving. So, okay, great. So, so Avi, what I'd like to do is kind of take you back in time. I know I think your, your background in the earlier days, if I may, was, was development, right? Software development yeah. before you moved into the entrepreneurial world. So maybe give us a little bit about what your background was and and how you made that first leap into your first company, which I believe was Nugget, correct? Yeah. So I did have some smaller ventures in between, but those were like very small trial and and all of them were errors actually in the end. But yeah, I learned a bit from, from each of them. But indeed, basically, my background was in software development. Then I ended up leading teams and then starting a small software company for a Belgian company. And then eventually, I always had this entrepreneurship itch, I think. And at one point, it was itching too hard. (laughs) So uh, I managed to have some uh, money saved aside from my corporate days. And uh, I said, okay, if I'm not going to give it a try now, uh, when will I do that? I think I was um, close to to 30 uh, back then. And uh, basically, we started uh, together with my current co-founder and some some other friends. We started with, with Nugget which was an app that brought uh, quotes from uh, business and personal development books. And we, we realized that it was a nice app. People liked it. They did download it. But it was a, a vitamin and not a painkiller. So it was extremely hard for us to, to get good retention rates on those users. And then it would have been even harder to monetize it unless we managed to get to like a huge scale. Um, yeah. So that, that failed. But while working at, on Nugget, we realized that okay, we have a lot of evergreen content, which is relevant today as it will be a few months or even years from now. And we have a lot of content that we want to share across social. We managed to find some techniques that helped us grow our social presence and then helped us turn that into uh, app installs and so on. And then at one point we said, okay, we built all of this knowledge and a bit of a toolkit internally to, to manage social. Maybe we should try to see if there's a need for other startups or other entrepreneurs to, to use this. Yeah. And, um, 
we, we managed to get our first customer with something which was a very rough <laughs> and very beta uh, looking uh, uh, app. And we saw that people were willing to pay even in that stage. So then we, we stopped working on Nugget and then focused on social distancing. Gotcha. Can I take, let me take you back just a second. I have a follow-up question on, on Nugget. When you started um, Nugget, was there a, a specific problem that you were going after? I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? The, the quotes and bite size from, from different, was it authors and thinkers? What was the, the basis for, for Nugget? Yeah, exactly. So I was and still I'm reading a lot of business books and then I'm going through them and highlighting them. But then I never go back to check those highlights, or very rarely. And then also by that time, the social media was filled with all of these inspirational quotes and things like that. People were starting to, to enjoy more and more bite-sized content. And we, we got all of these and put them together and said, okay, maybe uh, there's something here. And maybe uh, people would want to learn a bit more about these personal development or business books by just seeing a few of these nuggets, which were basically like quotes from these books. And then people would know if this is a book worth reading or once they read it, they could come back and just uh, refresh their memory by, by reading uh, these nuggets. Okay. Now I love that, that idea, but I think you're right. It's so crowded. And you know, the, the other part I like about this story is it was something you de- developed internally. I had a Dave Webb who was the CEO of Brightmove and he had a staffing IT staffing company for, you know, I'm paraphrasing five, seven, eight years, but they developed an internal tool for the recruiting and managing the candidates, which eventually became, you know, the software, which became his business today. So <laughs> it was a problem they solved for themselves before, you know, launching it in, into the marketplace. And it sounds like you kind of had the same path with what you created Nugget that turned into to Social B. Yeah, exactly. I think when you're when you're solving a problem for yourself, you know that you at least has a have a, an audience of one who is probably willing to pay for that solution. Uh, so obviously, it's it's hard to build a business when you have just one customer. But right. if you're already a customer, the problem means that there are more people like you who have the same or similar uh, problems that they want to solve. Exactly. And did you use the same? So in the early days of Social Bee, it sounded like you made the pivot from from Nugget. Was it essentially the the same co-founder and the same core team or who was was involved in the early days of Social Bee? Yeah. So actually uh, at Nugget, uh, we were four co-founders, but just myself and Vlad, who is now also my co-founder in Social Bee, we were fully committed. So fully working full time on this. And just Vlad and myself were the ones that transitioned over to, to Social Bee. Okay. And how long was that transition from, from Nugget to social? It was six months, 12 months? Kind of give us yeah, uh, how that evolved. Worked, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we worked like exclusively on Nugget full time for about six to 12 months. But then once we managed to get that first sale of the, what, was, what would end up being social B, we just stopped working on Nugget altogether because we realized that with Nugget, we still had to like bring money from uh, putting money from, from uh, our own pockets to, to get that going. While in Social B, even though there were a, it wasn't a lot, initially we saw some, some money coming in from customers. So uh, we said, okay, our, our time is much better spent on, on Social B because there's clearly more traction here. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you look back at your first customers, how did you get your first customers? Well, I've always liked the startup space and uh, I, I wanted to, to help people in general. And actually, we got our first customer because with Nugget, we did a very good product hunt launch. And then I created one of the top guides on launching on product hunt. And 
in the guide, I mentioned that if somebody wants to do a launch and they don't know how to do it, they can just reach out to me and I'm happy to help. And then the first customer we got was by just talking with, with him about Product Hunt and how you can do a launch on Product Hunt. And then I also mentioned what we're doing uh, internally with this tool that we're playing with. And then he said, okay, actually, this is something that I need as well and uh, I, I could use it. He became a customer uh, right away and then we were off to the races. That's awesome. And just, I just want to, another question on your co-founder, Vlad, who's one of the, the interesting themes that I'm starting to hear through the various entrepreneurs I've interviewed is the co-founders tend to complement each other, right? So if one's a dreamer, one's the operational, just curious how your relationship with Vlad and you guys divide and conquer or how does, how does that relation work? Yeah, so we, we definitely divide and conquer and I think we complement uh, each other quite well. So I was always focused more on the business side and um, on, on product marketing and so on, while he was taking care of the uh, technical part. So he, he's also the CTO, so he built the initial version and now he's working together with my colleagues on the technical side to build that part. And then I also like the fact that we have a similar vision, but also we have a little slightly different take when we are also talking with, with people or with customers. Sometimes he manages to, to say in words something which I can only like feel internally. Uh, so that, that has been a good partnership so far. That's uh, good. You can agree to disagree and it's good to have the, uh, to be able to challenge each other. Because I think if you both didn't push back, then you'd have, you may be heading down a path that's maybe not the, the fully vetted. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And we decided early on that even though we were like 50-50 in the beginning, everything that had to do with tech, he has the last decision and everything that had to do with everything else, basically, I had the last word. So that worked uh, quite, quite nice until now. That's good. Good, good. And all right. So the first customers are coming in, you're getting a little bit of money. I'm assuming at some point you decide, all right, we need to bring in some additional resources. You know, can you kind of walk us through and kind of what your thought process is when you got to that point? Because a lot of the, you know, entrepreneurs and founders that I've, I've worked with or talked to, you know, they get to that point of capacity and then, you know, you can go a hundred different directions. So can you just kind of walk us through, you know, what those early days were when you just first started to scale and expand the business? Yeah, so actually we have a quite an interesting uh, founding story because, and it comes back to my co-founder Vlad. So he already, so we, we already had uh, some tools internally for us to be able to, for example, share this content across social in a very structured and um, in a way that you can uh, recycle your best content and to grow the audience and to engage with the new followers and so on. But that was something which was meant initially for our internal use within Nugget. And then when we started to okay, start to productize this, Vlad started to work on this, but then he had some personal issues and uh, because of uh, a surgery which actually went uh, bad, uh, he was not available for over, over one month. And at that stage, we didn't have a product which would have been sellable on its own. Okay. But I realized that if we put a service on top of it and if I do some things by hand, we could actually um, still deliver those end results and then we managed to sell it like that. It wasn't sold as a product on its own, but rather as a, as a service with some product component, which actually uh, the first product was hacked together with a combination of uh, Google Sheets and Zapier integrations, and even by using some of our competitors to, to post on social. So it, it was quite a hacked together product, but 
it worked initially. So because of that, we actually stumbled into this services part as well. But then from the beginning, when we, we decided that we will do the services, we always said we're only going to do a service if it's something which is scalable. If it's something that we can scale either through technology by building it in-house or through productizing it and having procedures and trainings around it so we can easily find people that we can relatively easy train to be uh, productive and to, to be able to deliver a, a good quality service. So from the early days, we were always having this in mind, uh, the scalability part, both on the tool, but also on the, uh, on the procedure side. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point to, to reinforce that if you are looking at a scalable business, make sure your service and offerings is something that you can scale. Because I do, you know, you do hear the stories of if it's really, you know, uh, intensive from a human right side, much more difficult to scale the business. So if that's what you're looking for, that's a, that's a great reminder and a tip to make sure you're thinking about that two steps ahead of, you know, what does this look like if we do scale the business? Exactly. So I think that people think that things are always scaling through, through technology, but then again, we have McDonald's, which employs probably hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people or companies like McKinsey or the big force, which uh, again are scaling through, through humans. And you can still do that, but you need to structure things in, in a proper way and know from the beginning that if it's something that, that you're looking for, the scale, then you have to make sure that you document everything, that you have uh, uh, systems in place and processes, because you can also scale through, through humans, not only through technology, but then you need to, to have a, a, a mind shift about making sure you have procedures and making sure that the services that you're selling are relatively easy to train and to hand over and so on, and to always keep improving those, those processes and procedures. Yeah, I think that's a, another great point is, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss or don't take the time to document some of their key processes. I know part of your solution requires those operating procedures, but as you, as your business started to scale or any business for that matter, should take the time and document, you know, the key processes for your business. And over time you can get the, you know, the secondary processes, but make sure you get the core process is documented. So right as you scale, you bring people in. It's not you having to sit down and teach, you know, one by one, you know, how we do business. Yeah, exactly. So people might think that, okay, this only takes me 10 minutes. Why should I spend the time? And probably it's going to take me like an hour to, to write a procedure for this and to, to do it properly. And yeah, it might take you 10 minutes, but it takes you 10 minutes today, maybe 10 minutes tomorrow or the next week and 10 minutes, the other one and so on. And at one point, those 10 minutes really add up and then you're stuck working um, in the business and not on your business. So that's why for, for things which you can procedurize and, and have uh, people uh, to take them over from you, I would definitely suggest you do that so you can focus, as a, especially as a founder uh, or maybe a CEO, to focus on the higher level picture and always think of what's next rather than what do I have to do today specifically to keep running the business. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I, I love it. Um, all right. So as you guys, you had the first iteration of the project kind of, you know, duct taped together with Google Sheets and some other pieces, you know, how did that, that product evolve over the next, you know, 18 months? And did you guys make any pivots when the business after you started to see the scale or did it kind of play out the way you had envisioned? Yeah, so actually a good side benefit of uh, starting uh, in this duct tape way, as you, you put it so, so nicely, is that by the time we had to build the actual product, we knew what we had to build because we had it in that duct tape 
version, basically. And what we did is that actually one by one, we started to, to build all of those functionalities which were outside of Social B directly into the core Social B. So for example, one of the functionalities used to be uh, an integration with RSS feeds. So if somebody publishes something on their blog, a new post would show up in Social B. And for quite a long time, the RSS feed functionality was in Zapier. So people had to go and connect their Zapier accounts, add an RSS feed there, and then it got fed into the Social B uh, content categories. But then uh, we, we managed to also outsource that, uh, to, to implement that directly in Social B as we did with all of the functionalities, the existing functionalities. And now basically Social B is fully standalone. Funny enough, we also have a Zapier integration now so people can connect other tools to Social B. But one by one, basically, we, we built all of that into Social B. And obviously, as we built it, we still had to go back and redo some of the things or uh, keep improving it. But because we had this service mentality in the beginning, we knew what we needed to be built. So then it, it took us less time to build it, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and speaking of the service, so as you got the core product up and running and more customers were added, is that where additional services came on based on customer feedback and need from the customers? Or, uh, exactly. Or, okay. So because we started with just a few services, so the first one was the Twitter growth service and the content curation service, uh, which were also quite easy for us to outsource. But as we got better at it and as the customers demanded more from us, we then went into uh, the social media specialist where we're actually creating the daily post for our customers. And this is our most um, used service nowadays. Then we had uh, requirements for uh, article writing, so longer form copy, basically. Uh, We added that as well. Uh, Now, one of the top priorities, and we're starting uh, quite soon, is to develop uh, some services on the paid side of things. So both uh, Facebook paid, but also like Google search and so on. So basically, because we also have this pool of customers, they, we feel what they need, they tell us, and then we can also develop these services together with them. And whenever we're developing a new service, basically we're announcing it that it's going to be like a beta service. We get a few customers who are willing to, to try it out and to pay for it, maybe at a reduced rate. We work together with them to iron out any issues uh, in the service, to, to see exactly where the limits of the services are, uh, what's the, the, how we should communicate it, what information we need from them, and so on. And then once it's ready to scale and we have also internal procedures to train our, our colleagues, then basically we, we uh, announce it publicly and we make it available for, uh, for anybody. That makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe a follow-up question to that, because, you know, one of the questions I get quite a bit is, you know, how do I price my offering? And obviously, when you came into the market with this, it was, I would say it's new and unique, right? It wasn't something that's publicly <laughs> or commonly found. So how did you guys approach the pricing from the beginning and, and where you're at today? And, you know, what were some of the factors you looked at? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think pricing is always tricky and um, it's, it's a science, but it's also a bit of an art. So we always try to have our, our prices uh, quite competitive, both on the tool and on the services side. And actually, we went in two different directions with the tool and with the services. While initially the tool was a bit more expensive, uh, we lowered the price on the tool. And this was both because of pressures from other competitors uh, but also because we realized that we can also upsell people on the services. So the tool is almost like a lead generation part for, for us. And then on the services side, as we invest more and more time into delivering an even better quality uh, service, we're actually increasing the prices. 
And uh, we, whenever we do a price increase, and we, we did the, a couple until now, we are grandfathering in the people for a few months. But then because of, of this investment, and which means also more cost for us, we cannot let them be grandfathered in for life. But rather, uh, we give them a, a period of time, and then if they feel it's too expensive, no problem, uh, they can cancel after that. But most of the times, they, they see the value in it, and we still have very good prices. And we're always also looking at the competition, trying to see how much it would cost internally to deliver those services. And we want to make sure that we are offering a very good uh, uh, price quality ratio. Yeah. And I love the fact that you talked about the value, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what, what the folks are, are going to pay for. And I'd love to get your, your perspective on this. And, uh, and maybe it's more prevalent because obviously you're in the technology space. But as it's easier and easier to, I don't want to say completely replicate technology, but the, the learning curve to, if somebody's ahead of, let me put the restate this. <laughs> so if somebody's got an advantage on the technology side that your platform or tool is better than somebody else's, the time to close that difference, you know, isn't as long as it used to be. So does it make more sense to differentiate on the service versus on the technology? And I'm just curious if, one, if that's the advice you'd have for others, and two, if that's you know what where you think the market's going. Yeah, so I definitely I definitely think that the market is going in an all-in-one solution. And all-in-one used to mean that it's a tool that does many things. But I think all-in-one more and more will mean that it's tools, but it's also services. And we see more and more people who have this hybrid model where it's either the company itself who also delivers the services or they have a, a network of partners that can deliver services. For example, if we're looking at HubSpot, they, they are charging for implementation and for even for onboarding and training and so on, besides charging for the tool. And I think that uh, we are also looking at a consolidation uh, of, of the whole market where each tool tries to do more and more. And I think that's, that trend will continue. So um, we, we bet on, on this trend basically from the beginning and we said that uh, we will double down on having both the tools and uh, the services. And uh, I, I think that customers more and more are, they just care about the end result. They don't care how that end result is delivered. And if that means that it's services at a competitive price or it's a mix of services and tools, it, it is how it is. I think that this cyborg model is, is the one which we will see more and more going forward. Yeah, like I think that's 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 a great point. Yeah, thinking back through the kind of the journey to date, is there anything else you would have done differently, even going back to the Nugget days, that kind of transition to it? Yeah. I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but is there anything specifically if you look back, man? I wish I would have done this or thought about this differently before we did that. Well, I think that with Nugget, if we would have actually analyzed and did more proper research from the beginning, we would have not started it. So then I guess it's good that we didn't do that because without Nugget, there wouldn't be any social be. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, even with the mistakes that, that we did. When it comes to social be, I think because basically we're almost running like two businesses, the tool and the services. Sometimes it's hard uh, with, the, with the priorities. We, we were uh, bootstrapped and we just had a small investment and then used uh, some, some Epsimo campaigns also to, to fund us. Maybe I would have also talked uh, to investors a bit earlier on so we could grow even faster. Uh, we are now thinking about this. But all in all, I'm happy with where we are. Uh, we still have a long road uh, ahead of us, but 
we, we keep growing, we keep improving both the tool, the services, the team, and so on. So I'm, I'm happy with where we are now. Yeah, the good things to come, right? Just keep your eyes open and, and, and look for the opportunity. And two themes that I, I've also seen with a lot of my, my interviews, one is they wish they would have started marketing a little bit earlier. Uh, so I'd love to get your perspective on that. And two, you know, it was hard for them to get out of the day-to-day running of the operations. So I'd love to get your, your perspective on those two things. First, the marketing, and then two, you know, how involved you are in the, the day-to-day. Yeah, so on the marketing, I would definitely uh, say that you should start marketing as you start building your company, even though, in, especially in the tech part, um, most of the times the idea that you're starting, that you're going to start with is not going to be the idea that you will end up with. But because you you would start marketing uh, from, from the beginning, you would already have an audience that you can uh, use to test your ideas uh, that uh, can actually also buy your products or services as you have them. And they, they really work well hand in hand because otherwise you would go through a feast and famine cycle where you just work on the technology or on the business, then you realize you don't have anybody to buy it. And then you try to work on, on getting customers and then you neglect the, the, the technology or the business again. So they, they work hand in hand the best. And on the operational side, I always keep looking for things to outsource to, to my team. And we were quite lucky that probably about a year ago or a bit more, we had another partner who, who came on board of Social B and he's our COO now. And okay. he's managing most of that part of the operational side. But as we keep growing, all of us have to always level up and delegate further down. And this is something that I also have to be reminded of uh, constantly and have to delegate uh, even more. But uh, I think this is also like a constant uh, process where you start to do some things once you manage to find a system and uh, it works, you can delegate them. Or if you can find somebody to, to help you uh, set it up properly from the beginning and then for you to just be there and, and guide them, that, that's even better. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think that a, a great, uh, the way to think about it is once you've got a process that works, then get it documented, then it's, that's repeatable. It doesn't make sense to document a process that's not efficient or it's, <laughs> or it's not working. Right. So uh, that's great. And I think along those lines, you know, I think my, my next question for you would be really, you know, any other advice for entrepreneurs starting their journey? You had mentioned, you know, that you, started professional career through about 30 before you made the, the leap into the entrepreneurial world. I think a lot of our audience has shared that path where they've spent some time in corporate. And if they haven't, you know, any, any big nuggets or advice for, for those folks that are just getting started? Yeah, I think um, it's important to know that except with a few occasions that we see in uh, movies and in uh, the Silicon Valley show and so on, uh, usually things take a bit longer than expected. So that's why it's, it's good to, to start uh, as, as soon as you can and start where you are with what you have. And most of the times, especially for, for people who are like professionals, it's going to be offering their uh, knowledge as a consultancy model. And then that's perfectly fine. And it's good. Uh, probably you will be able to get some customers. Uh, maybe you will be able to replace your, your full-time job with, with consulting work. But then if that's the route you're taking, always try to think, what can you do to scale that uh, if that's what you want? Because some people don't necessarily want to, to scale to, to a huge company. They just want to have a, a good life doing what, what they love. And this is another thing which I want to make sure that people understand because 
sometimes you, you are a professional, you like what you do, and then you want to go on your own to do more of that. But if you want to grow, you will end up seeing that you will actually do less of what, you, what that core competency was because there's so much to do around it, like the whole marketing and operational side and, and the growth part and so on, that you will end up doing less of, of that part. And if that core competency is the one that uh, you really love doing, then probably you just have to accept that you will be kept at uh, a specific number of customers or you will have to find some other ways to, to scale that part. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And yeah, I, I do see it. And I was kind of surprised that I did some informal research and you had mentioned that uh, a lot of your, your core audience or your core customer is you know solopreneurs. And I would argue those are the folks that do really like to do what they do, but they're doing it on their own. And you know, they may get past one or two or they use services like yours to help scale them where they can. But I was surprised at the number of the, the entrepreneurs that are actually looking to build companies that they can make a difference with. So when I first started this journey with the podcast, I thought it was going to be more focused on those solopreneurs and, you know, things to help. But what I found was, the, again, not a a small sample size, but they do want to build companies that do make a difference. And mm. I think to your point, you're going to have to learn to take on some additional leadership roles and more visionary and broader operations versus, you know, maybe the delivery piece, as you had mentioned with the consulting. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So Avi, what's, what's next for you in social B what's, uh, what's on the near term? What are you guys looking to accomplish next? Yeah. So, um, we've been growing since, since uh, we got started and, uh, I hope we keep uh, at least the same growth trajectory. And I don't think there's any big major things, which, which we have to do. It's just that we have to do what we're doing, what we've been doing so far and to do more of it and to always keep doing it better. So we, we will keep adding new services. Uh, we'll keep expanding the, the tool and it's, it's a journey. It's a, it's a long journey. But we, it, I think it's the just part where you put your head down and you keep working. And by the time you will uh, lift your head, you will see that you're further ahead. Uh, and I don't think there's any like big moments uh, coming up for us. We just have to keep doing uh, more of what we've been doing so far. Yeah, and I think that's also great advice. Some of the best advice you know, I've received is, and which I'm trying to live by, is enjoy the journey, right? I think if you get caught up at what does the end game look like, you know, go public, cash out, sell, whatever it is, and you're just not just grinding and not enjoying what you're doing day in and day out, I think you're going to be disappointed when, when you get to the end. I, I, I think so too. Uh, it is important to, to, to be enjoying the journey. And at the end of the day, it's probably one of the reasons why we went into entrepreneurship because we like what we do and we like to also provide uh, meaningful uh, and to provide value to, to, to our customers. Yeah, it makes sense. Excellent. Well, well, thank you, Avi. I really appreciate it. I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to get into our, our closing time section where uh, the audience gets to know you a little bit and then we can wrap it up after that if you're, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first one is, you know, what is a favorite book? Is there, it could be something historically you've read or even a podcast. I should you know, probably update this question. So <laughs> book or podcast that you would uh, recommend to folks. So we've been talking a lot about processes and systems and so on. So I would de definitely recommend the uh, image revisited. 
And uh, that's a book where basically it shows you how you can build uh, your company as a sellable, compon- a sellable company, even if you don't plan to sell it. Okay. Uh, how you can uh, set up structures and, and processes and so on to be able to then focus on the parts that you want and it will actually help you quite a lot uh, grow your uh, your company this way. And uh, if I'm, if we're talking about uh, podcasts, because I'm also a, a big uh, podcast listener, I have a lot, but one which I would recommend is The Masters of Scale uh, with Reid Hoffman, the uh, co-founder of LinkedIn. And I like it because he has like very extremely top caliber uh, people. It's also a bit produced, so it has a nice storyline and so on. And um, it, you always have uh, some, uh, some key lessons that you can uh, take away and, and maybe uh, implement them already in your company. Yeah, and I would definitely recommend that's a that's one of my favorite podcasts as well. I wish he had more episodes, but makes you anticipate <laughs> when the new ones do come out. So great. And I'll add these to the show notes so people can link and, and find them from um when the show go live. So next question is you know, one I that I really like. I guess that's because I, I say I can't take full credit for it. What is one thing you would highly recommend? It could be either personal or professional that you know, like I said, it doesn't have to be a book or anything along those lines, but maybe something in your life that you would recommend to folks. Yeah. So one thing which I'm I'm trying to do, and it's a bit due at this point, is to also take longer vacations to to really disconnect and to to try to really stay away from from the business, even 100%. Like go one week and not be in touch with the business. And why I like this is because, first of all, it will force you to be to make sure that the business can continue without you. Because if it cannot, it means that you don't have a business; you just have a, a, a job. And then the other uh, benefit is that it helps you uh, detach yourself and clear your mind. And almost uh, each time, or probably each time I, I did that, I came back with fresh ideas and fresh perspectives that we can implement in our business. So sometimes uh, taking a, a step back will definitely help you take a lot more steps forward. And working with entrepreneurs, that's definitely easier than said than done for most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, highly, I highly agree with your, your recommendation there. And last but not least, if you could only have one more beverage, you know, kind of think of it as a last meal, what would it be? It's a hard choice. Um, I would, but I would probably have uh, just a glass of whiskey. Okay. Um, it's uh, whiskey also makes me puts me in a uh, in a mood where I start to think about things and be be, be a bit of a of a thinker. So especially if it's going to be a, the last one, it's probably a good a good one for me. And I can't disagree with that. So <laughs> again, I really appreciate your your time, Avi. Is there anything else you want to to chat or discuss before we wrap this up? Uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, to have this this conversation. And if anybody from your audience feels that social media is something that they can use, uh, just feel free to, to also reach out to me and they can just reach, reach me um, via email. It's ov at socialb.io. Uh, plus they can have, uh, they can find all of the information which are needed on socialb.io. Which I highly recommend people go check out. Again, it's, it's filling a need, right? That people there, I would argue not very many people are really good at social media, especially with the changing landscape. And it's kind of a, you know, price you have to pay just to be in business these days without social and some web presence. It's really hard to, you know, grow your business. So again, Abby, thank you very much for your time. Like I said, I'll link to all the information and, uh, have a great rest. I guess you're in evening time. So enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you too. And uh, have a, have a great day for you. All right. Thank you. Take care. 
Cheers. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.